Hey there, educational rock stars. Are you feeling overwhelmed with lesson planning for your English language learners? Well, I've got some exciting news for you. Introducing our upcoming free webinar, Simplify Your Approach, Three Time-Saving Routines for ELL Success. Join me for a power-packed 45 minutes that's set to revolutionize your teaching strategy. In this webinar, we'll dive into three practical, easy-to-implement routines that will not only enhance your ELL teaching methods, but also save you hours of planning time. Yes, hours. So whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, these insights are tailored to help everyone make the most of their teaching time. Plus, you'll leave this webinar ready to implement these routines the next day. So mark your calendars for our two upcoming dates. I don't want you to miss this opportunity to transform your ELL lesson planning. To reserve your spot, simply sign up at www.equippingells.com slash routines. Trust me, your future self will thank you for it. I'll see you at the webinar. Teaching ELL students is a privilege and a joy. Is it easy? No way. But with the right support, you can feel empowered to tackle each day with ease and confidence. I'm your host, Beth Boucher, founder of Inspiring Young Learners. With over 10 years of teaching both nationally and internationally, I know what it takes to ensure that your ELL students have what they need to thrive today, tomorrow, and for life. I'm on a mission to empower you to equip your English language learners. Welcome to Equipping ELLs. Let's get to today's episode. Hey, Karen, welcome to the show. I'm so excited that you're here today. I'm excited as well. Thank you for inviting me. Of course. All right. Well, let's just dive right in because we have a lot of good stuff to share today. I wanted to bring Karen on here because I know sometimes as teachers, we don't really know what teaching ELLs looks like in different schools across the country. And so I think it's really fascinating to get to share about your experience, about what it looks like in your school, and just for you to share some tips and tricks because you are an experienced ESL teacher. So why don't you start with sharing a little bit about your teaching experience? So I have taught in rural Minnesota for 23 years in various capacities from first grade, third grade, fourth grade, sixth grade, middle school math. And most recently, the last seven years, I've been teaching K-12 ESL. So yeah. Awesome. So you've had a little bit of everything and now you're covering K through 12. So I know there's people listening who are also K-12 and are going to have questions of how are you doing that? Because that's a lot of different grades that you're covering, planning and all of that stuff. So we're going to get into that. So you said you're in rural Minnesota. What is your ELL population like there? So in my district, we only have 16 EL students. So I'm only half-time ESL. But in surrounding areas, I mean, it's growing. I'm trying to build the program back up from where it was prior to me being in the position. Yeah. Yeah. It's growing all over. And that's that's what the point is, you know, even in rural areas now where maybe before there, there wasn't as big of an influx of English language learners, it's starting to happen. And so are most of your students one language, one demographic? Spanish. And they're like, so Latino Spanish. Okay. So... Speaking. 
Awesome. Awesome. All right. So Karen, why don't you share with us what your role looks like and what does supporting ELLs look like in your school when there's a really small number of the population of ELLs in your district? So what does that look like? Well, I am not only the teacher, I'm also the EL coordinator. So I'm an all-in-one. I have to work with the teachers, the students, the parents. I have an EL or second language para. So I'm an all-in-one. I have to organize testing test any new students who come in. I do all of the access testing in the district. So it's it, it can be overwhelming sometimes. You wear many different hats, don't you? I, I do. And I know some of our listeners can relate because, you know, even in equipping LLs, we have many other teachers that are doing the same as you in a small district. They're just really beginning kind of the ELL program in their district and having to juggle all those different responsibilities. So how do you feel like you're able to do that without just letting the overwhelm take over. Do you have any tips about that for some, you know, for those who are in the same situation as you? It's really important to get administrative support because even though I'm the teacher and the coordinator, I'm still just a peer with the teachers in my building. And so making sure that the administration is in support of the decisions that are being made is very important, as well as just building those relationships with teachers and support staff and just working, saying, you know, just working as a team and coming together and we're all there for everyone. So let's work together to make it the best for, for everyone, all parties involved. Yeah, that's so necessary, especially if we want our ELLs to find success in the school is working with those homeroom teachers and the support teachers to help them better support the ELLs. So Karen, tell me, more about what type of model does your school use? What does your schedule look like when you're trying to really support just a few kids in each of the grade levels? What does that look like each week for you? So it has been evolving from where I first started and had no direction and I had to create my own program. I have tried, you know, the push in, I've tried co-teaching and what has absolutely worked the best is the pullout. I know it isn't the one that they say is the best, you know, students don't make as much progress in the pullout as they do if you're pushing in or doing the co-teaching. But just with so few students, I ended up being a glorified para when I pushed in. And the co-teaching, teachers did not necessarily feel that I should be co-teaching when there's only one or two EL students in there. The population was so small within the classroom. So I've really gone to the pullout and I've really found a lot of success especially this last school year, because I decided to group them rather than trying to go by grade level because it was overwhelming. I, I had no time. I was It was so rushed that I now do kind of the, the access, the way that they do the grade bands with a little exception. So I, I have a K group. I have a first grade group. I tried to combine the two of them, but kindergartners are just not at the same level. So I had to separate them. I then have a two, three group. A four, six, I, I'm well aware that six is supposed to be at six, eight, but the way our building is is put together, we're a pre-K-12 building, but the elementary is K-6, middle school, seven, eight, high school, nine, 12. So I do four, six, seven, eight, and then nine, 12. Got it. So I have all students from newcomers to beginners to intermediate to intermediate advanced all at the same time. So the way I've made that work, partly is a lot of a lot of what equipping ELLs 
has given. There's a lot of independent work that the students can do while I'm working with another group. I've also worked with teachers. Instead of pulling them out every single day for 45 minutes, it's based on their needs. So for example, I had a third grade, second, third grade group this last school year. And I had two students who did not need speaking. So I did not see them on Monday. Oh, I'm, excuse me, rewind, rewind back. They did not need listening. So I did not pull them in on Mondays because their listening was already at a five. I don't, they don't need that support. I only saw them on the days when I was covering reading, writing, and then the day where I kind of combined everything because it's kind of a five day. I pull students into those groups based on their needs. I look at their access test scores or their screener scores, as well as talking with teachers. You know, where are they struggling in the classroom? Where do they need support? How can I help you in your classroom? And so that really worked very well this year. And I feel like teachers were more supportive of that because they knew, okay, they're going in, today is the day that they're going to work on reading. And yes, we also did some writing in there. And on writing days, we still did reading. But our main focus was around a text on the reading day. Our main focus on the writing was doing some type of writing, whether it was a narrative or we were working on grammar or, or whatnot. So they knew what I was doing. And I think that helped them to feel better about, oh, well, they're leaving for this. And this is what they're going to be getting. So it, it, it was, I, I would say it's a success and I would continue it. But it took me seven years to get to that, where I finally found what was working. So my advice is don't give up. Keep trying because you'll find the fit that works in your school. Yes. And I love that point. And I love, I mean, that's such a big reason why I wanted to have you on here because every school is so different. And I think we need to keep that in mind and that you you made that so clear. And that point is, you know, co-teaching, yes, is great. And it works in some schools, but it doesn't need to work in every school. You know, like you're saying, if you have two kids in the whole class, you can really give them that one-on-one support. And I love how you've divided up you know, not just by language levels, but by grade level clusters and now are giving those supports and differentiating in that group. Sounds like it is really successful. So, you know, if you're listening and you're you're feeling that like I've tried these things, they're not working really, take what Karen just said in at heart and look at your specific students, look at your grade level bands. You know, it sounds like the homeroom teachers have really been on support with that because they know you're not just pulling them because you have to pull them, but you you're pulling them intentionally. And you're going to have them stay in a class when you don't need to have that support for them. And so it helps build that, that trust between you and the homeroom teachers, it sounds like. Hey, teachers, I'm interrupting this episode to ask you a quick question. How different would your life be if you could confidently plan effective and engaging lessons for your yellow students in a fraction of the time? I created my membership equipping ELLs to do just that. When you join, you gain instant access to the exact resources you need, proven and prepped for you, plus a supportive private community of like-minded educators. Join us today at www.equippingells.com. Now back to the episode. Because building relationships with homeroom teachers, with parents that don't speak English, with ELL students, 
is so vital at the beginning of the year. Can you share any advice that you have on how you successfully have done that? So at the beginning of my year, every year, I use one of the things that Equipping ELLs that Beth had created. She created these cards that are based on the WIDA levels. And every year I, I get the test scores from our access testing and I pull out those grade bands and I write the name of each student on the cards and I give it to the classroom teacher. Those homeroom teachers get the cards. This is where they're starting the school year at. They'll move on from there, but this is where they're at. And I feel that teachers really like that because it, it's it's the can-dos. It's what they're able to do. And they can take them from what they can do beyond. And I do that. Hey, well, my K, I don't really, I don't really give to K because there's so much in K. Right. So my first <laughs> through 12th graders, I give those. Even though the, the grade band's at 9-12, I give them that that information so that they can hit the ground running and know what those kids can do. Because we all know that EL students will sometimes use their language as, I don't understand. I cannot do this. But yet they were able to do it on the test. So they should be able to do it. So it gives teachers that, well, it says here that you're able to do this. You prove that you could do it. And my students now realize that, okay, we can't use that. (laughs) There's there's accountability. Yeah. Right, right. Which is hard. It's hard. It is hard. But do you find that the homeroom teachers feel more empowered and feel more confident than kind of having that expectation for their students at the start of the year? Yes, because I feel like they understand. And then they can see, okay, this is what the next level they should be able to do. And they'll ask and they'll say, well, it says here that they're doing this, but when I ask them, they're able to do this or they're writing and they're able to do this. They said, yep, they're on their way to that level. You know, so having them be able to see those can-do descriptors from one level to the next has helped them to understand how ELLs, you know, how do they grow in their language. Their language spectrum, that's wonderful. And that they can be at a three in speaking, but they're only at a two in reading, you know, so being able to see that I think has been very beneficial. I love that. And if you are wanting to get your hands on that, we'll put a a link in the show notes because that's a freebie because I want everybody to have that. And exactly. I love that you're printing that and sharing that with the homeroom teachers because it is something really helpful. And a lot of times if they don't understand how to interpret the access scores, and like you just said, you know, they could be in a, a three or four in listening and speaking, but a one or two in reading and writing. So it's not across the board that they're just one level. And so giving them that support in that very tangible, practical, practical way to scaffold the lessons in their classroom is huge. So I love that idea. Having those meetings, those progress meetings with teachers. Here's what I'm seeing in my room. What are you as a homeroom teacher seeing? You know, and coming together and discussing what are their strengths and where are their areas of growth that's needed. And that has really benefited, I feel like, the students, myself as the EL teacher, as well as those homeroom teachers, to be able to see that they're able to do this. When we all come together and talk about it, they're able to do sometimes more than what we see in our, in our own classrooms. That's wonderful. That's going beyond what we're doing. Yeah, I, I love that. Awesome. So since we're talking about back to school, what are some ways that you get set up for the school year, especially when you're working with multiple grade levels, you know, how do you really feel like you get, you successfully get set up? 
Well, as I said, I give out those can-do cards, you know, on on the levels that the students are in. That's that's the first thing. I also do file reviews of all students coming from preschool to kindergarten to find out who do I need to bring in and do the screener on. Mm-hmm. Any new students that come in this that's enroll over the summer, I look through those files and I see, do they have an additional language? Do I need to contact families? Do I need to pull them in to do a screener? So that's always the before school. And usually in that first month, we have students coming. So I continue that through that first month of school. Also making sure that I have lots of, you get finished early with something you know, here's a listening center that you can do or making sure there's materials available that are going to be at an independent level for newcomers, for level ones, level twos, level threes, and because they, they do all work at different levels. And when I have multiple levels in a room, you know, it's sometimes on the turn of a dime, you got to be, okay, pause. I need to work with this group. You know, here's an activity you can do. So making sure I have a list of activities, things printed out, you know, things set up in Google Drive that they can just go and work on independently. And really setting up that routine in that first couple of weeks is very important. Like every day my students walk in and whether they are a newcomer or they are a beginner and intermediate, they're advanced. When they come in, there's always, again, from equipping ELLs and <laughs> love speaking and speaking and listening cards that's up on the board, on the smart board, and they are in there, they're they're looking at the picture, they're writing any words that they that they recognize, and they look at it and they write sentences if they're if possible, wherever they're at. And I, I always do have the one with vocabulary because there's the one without vocabulary, the one with vocabulary. I always have the one with vocabulary. I know my intermediate vets don't need it, but those newcomers do. And it doesn't hurt those upper kids to see how is that vocabulary spelled. Yes, exactly. So I always have the ones with vocabulary on there. So sometimes they're just copying the words. But at least they're copying the word and they're seeing the picture that it's pointing to. So building it that way. And we always have a time where we share. Mm-hmm. Whether you're a newcomer or you're an intermediate, you're sharing what you wrote down. Sometimes they don't even share what they wrote down. Sometimes they just talk about the picture. So lots of great things like that. Just setting up a routine and making sure that they know when they come and this is what you do. Yes. That is so crucial. And I think it's it's freeing for you to know here's what we're doing, you know, here's how they're going to get started every day. And it helps them to really feel confident and, and reach that higher expectation where they know, okay, I'm, I'm going to have to share what I'm writing about or about this picture that I'm not going to get away from it with, with not sharing even those newcomers, because you're providing the scaffolds that they need. And so that helps them to progress much faster than if they aren't sure what they're going to expect in your class, or, you know, they can, they can get away with saying, oh, I don't know. And, and they don't have to be forced to speak because you're there's forced to speak in an environment that's welcoming and safe and comfortable. You're setting that up. So I love that. And I think too, like you said, just setting up those independent activities, you know, especially if you're working with mixed groups like you are, having those ready is that helps so much to alleviate that stressful moment when you have three kids, I'm none, and you're still working with a group. Even I think something in the summer to look at the tech you want to be using this upcoming year, like you mentioned, getting those Google Drives, Google Google Classroom set up so they're really easy for even newcomers to know where do they click, how do they sign in, having those apps kind of where you feel confident about how to run it so that, you know, that's always the worst feeling when the tech goes crazy and all the kids are depending on it and, 
and you don't get your lesson taught because you're trying to figure out tech. So even spending just a little bit of time, like you said, in the summer, getting some of those things set up so that you know, on their iPads, they have the home screen, they know which buttons to press or on the computer, they have the the links to press right from the desktop. Those really simple things can really make your your lessons go a lot easier. So excellent. Now, let me ask Karen, what does your school curriculum look like? Do you have a, a curriculum from the school they provide or what does that look like? I, I do not. And up until, I, I believe it was... The summer of 2020, is that when Equipping ELL started? Yes. <laughs> I found it in August, just before school started. It was a godsend because I was daily, weekly, scrounging, searching the internet, emailing people, looking everywhere. Equipping ELLs is my foundation. I, I, I realize it's probably supposed to be more supplemental, but it is a foundation and it has grown in the last, now we're starting the third year with it. And it has grown and there are fantastic materials. That is, that's what I base a lot of my, my teaching on is holding those, holding stuff from the equipping LLs. And sometimes it's, I mean, it's, it's all ready to use. And sometimes I add things to it. You know, sometimes I'm not able to do everything that's in there, but I at least have a foundation to start with. It has been a godsend. It really has. Thanks, Karen. So Karen's one of our original members from Equipping LL. She she took the risk right at the beginning and said, I'm going to try this out. And she's been such a faithful member. So if you are not sure what Equipping LLs is, Equipping LLs is the name of the podcast, but it's also the name of my monthly membership. And that's where I take the, the resources from my TPT store and put them in there with lesson plans, with support training. And this year we're adding some more. Karen's actually helping me with creating more standards, incorporating the standards from WIDA, giving more guides and assessments so that we can be checking in, doing more progress monitoring on our students. Because we know when you're working with ELLs, you could have a whole group of level three, fourth graders, but that doesn't mean they all need the same support. And so we are really passionate about helping you know what your students need so you can help have the materials to easily and quickly support them in the classroom. Because there's a lot of people like you, there's a lot of teachers that their school has given them the students, but the school has not given them any of the support and or curriculum. And there's a lot of curriculum out there, but a lot of it is is not still really creative with the ELL needs in mind. And that's what Equipping ELLs is all about, is helping support the students how our language learners need it, the scaffolds already done for you. So, so tell me a little bit more about your experience with being a member of Equipping ELLs. How do you feel like it's really helped transform your teaching? I really like the, the support from others, you know, being able to talk with people who have had the same experience because there are several of us who are a one person department and there are people who are traveling from school to school and are not able to make connections. So we have a group where we can make connections. Beth has monthly Zoom meetings that we're able to attend. Then she goes through the, the lesson plans for that month, talks about any new materials that are going, that we're going to see on the platform throughout the year. She does like a Two weeks, like usually mid-month, I guess, she would do a a meeting where it's just, we're able to just come in and just, she puts us into groups, breakout sessions, and just to be able to talk about what are we doing? What are our successes are? What needs do we have? What are you using for this? 
has been phenomenal. Because again, I don't have support from other EL teachers. So my support is when I'm with these gr- the group on the equipping ELLs. The, the Facebook has been a phenomenal experience as well. Just going in, seeing what needs people have. Can I help them? Do they have ideas that I can use? Just and fabulous materials. Like I said, it's they're ready to use, print and use. <laughs> Clear directions on how to use them. It, it's 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 great. Well, the community is definitely my favorite part as well because we know teaching. Even if you have other teachers in the school, I was just recently talking to a, a new ELL teacher, and she was saying how how hard it was because none of the other teachers wanted to share with her, and they were not willing to help her. And and that's sad reality in some schools. And so we know that it can be very isolating. And, and that's really a big part of equipping ELLs is the community to, to know you're not alone, <laughs> to know that there are solutions. And, you know, I, there's so many different teachers that have come in and they said, oh, we've been lesson planning. I wake up early to lesson plan. I'm on my weekends lesson planning. And so we're helping people get off of that, right? We're helping to encourage people, hey, you can, you can set up the routines, you can set up the structures, and I think the consistency of having, like you're saying, the materials that the, the students really become familiar with, like Karen was mentioning, the speaking and writing cards, you know, I encourage all the teachers to use those as their just first five to 10 minute warm up. And when the students know that, and when they see something that's familiar, when they know what to expect, it really helps them have that framework, have that confidence to share. It helps lower that effective filter of, what's going to happen today in class. And so even with the monthly closed reading activities, all of the different types of materials that they see and are familiar with as they go throughout the year, oh, okay, I know what's what's expected of me right now when we do this activity. I think that's really been beneficial for the students as well. Those who are listening, so I have them write in a notebook and I keep the notebook. And so this past year I brought back, they use the exact same notebook and they're like, Miss, I wrote about this last year. I said, okay, well, same picture. Go back and see what you wrote. Yeah. (laughs) And they were like, what? I did that. And look at what I can do now. So they were able to see that even though it was the exact same picture, they could go deeper looking at that picture deeper and, and write more about it and talk more about it. I love that. That's one benefit I have since I have students multiple years, that they can see their progress because it's hard for us to see that. Totally. And I mean, what a great, that's just really a a student portfolio right there of having that notebook, have them keep it in there and just to look at from year to year how much they progress. Because I think too often we just go full speed ahead and don't take that time. And for for our students as well to slow down and say, wow, look at where I was a year ago. And now look at Look at my handwriting improve. Look at my how I'm expanding these sentences. You know, we, those that's huge to build confidence in our students that way. So I love that idea. I think they want to go and copy what they wrote, but then they realize, wait a minute, <laughs> I know so much more now. I'm not doing that. That's great. Oh, I love that. <laughs> well, before we end, I want you to just share just a tip or two for any new teachers that we have, any new teachers of that have ELLs in their classroom or any new teachers to teaching ESL, what would you say is some advice you have for them? Get to know the families, really having that family support. And I don't speak a lot of Spanish, but I feel like the families feel comfortable coming to me because I'm willing to, you know, translate things. They'll send me a message in Spanish and I'll translate it in English so I can understand it. And I'll then respond back to them. I'll type it in English, but I'll translate it. I use I use Spanish dictation most of the time, 
but I, I've used Google Translate as well. I, I like the citation because there's multiple. It shows it Spanish different in diff, like three different forms of it. So I can look and see, okay, is this really what I want to say? So that's why I choose that one over the others. I've tried to use talking points a little bit. I just don't have all the families on board with that. But that's a phenomenal app that you can get both on Android and on um, Apple. But if I get more families with that, that's also a wonderful tool. I just don't have all my families on that yet. They'll respond to me in Spanish, and I think they feel comfortable doing that. And I will respond back to them in Spanish. And maybe I'm correct, and maybe I'm not. <laughs> I don't know, because I assume that it's correct how it's translating, but I know that it can get a little lost sometimes. But for the most part, I think that that works. Have finding someone, if you don't have anyone in your building, you know, see if your district can hire, you know, someone that can just do some translating for you or that's willing to do, you know, help you when you can't get a hold of a family that just gets paid. You know, I found a stay at home mom that is willing to contact families when I can't get a response. So reaching out to, to, to the community, seeing who's out there has been a benefit as well, connecting with families. Also, meet with the students. And those first few days, even if I have them year after year, are always, we start all over getting to know each other again. Because we have been apart for three months. And what did you do? You know, So really building those relationships in that first week is the most important. Those first couple of weeks, build those relationships. Let them know that it's a place to make mistakes. There's no judgment. You don't judge my Spanish. I'm not going to judge your English. <laughs> yep. That's really what it is. And just making sure that you figure out what your routine is going to be and start that from the beginning, really start that from the beginning and get your teachers on board, you know, talk with the teachers, learn together. I love that. I love all of that. Know you're there to support them. Yeah. Beth said there were several things. I can't even think of all the things she had. One, when to translate, when not to translate. Another phenomenal thing that I gave, especially to my secondary teachers, like when should you translate things? You should translate everything you're doing. That's going to kill you. And that was a phenomenal resource that Beth ha had in the equipping ELLs that I've given to every teacher. And I think they've appreciated that because it's kind of let that load off that I don't have to translate everything because that's what I think we originally think is, oh, we have to translate everything. We have to give everything to them in their language. But we don't. And like you said, it's going to kill you. <laughs> so don't, <laughs> unless you're in a bilingual classroom, that's the purpose, but <laughs> most of us aren't. So, oh, that's wonderful. Well, Karen, thank you so much for your time. I really, this was just so full of so many nuggets that I know teachers are really going to benefit from and just, you know, help them to think of specifically in their school, what is going to work this year, because every school is different. And you know, I think the big point that that you hit on is just setting up those routines. Try to stick with the routine because I know oftentimes we get we see new ideas or think, oh, this worked for this teacher. Let me try this. And we we keep trying to reinvent the wheel, you know. So really just thinking and, and seeing your students, the teachers you're working with this year, and set set up a simple routine to begin, and then you can always add things on. So I think that's great advice. So thank you so much, Karen. Thank you for having me on. It was a good experience and I hope teachers get something from it. Of course, of course. And if you want to join us, Karen and I and the rest of the Equipping Yells community, we'll put some links in the show notes. We would love to have you this year. Like we were saying, the community is the best part to get to connect with other teachers. So, all right. Bye for now. Thank you for joining me in today's episode. All links and resources mentioned can be found in the show notes. 
If you're looking for even more support and done-for-you resources created specifically for the needs of ELLs, head to inspiringyounglearners.com. I'll catch you here next week. Until then, take that next step to keep equipping your ELLs.